Habakkuk chapter 2. And Habakkuk is a short book. It is only three chapters. But it all depends on your perspective because it is also an incredibly long song. So Habakkuk is, in the Hebrew, is written as a song that could be sung. Habakkuk is a prophet. He prophesies at the end of the nation of Judah. Israel was already taken captive, the northern kingdom, taken into captivity by the Assyrians. Judah is about to be taken captive by the Babylonians. And God is going to share with Habakkuk that that's what's going to take place. Well, as he does that, Habakkuk begins to, to question, you know, God, why are you allowing this nation that is far more wicked than Israel judge us? And why are you letting the sinners go free? Why are, why, when are you coming? In fact, let's open with the word of prayer, and we're going to share the first verses of chapter 1 before we jump into chapter 2. Lord, we pray that as you share this conversation that you had with Habakkuk centuries ago, Lord, you show us how it is so relevant for us today and the things that we go through. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to reveal yourself and fill us with your spirit, that we'd be more like you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I put it up there, chapter 1, verse 1 of Habakkuk, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. So that's how Habakkuk opens up. But then the Lord says, I want you to record this. And he starts changing, and well, not changing, but he begins to share with Habakkuk that, yes, you know, he is going to come and judge. But Habakkuk doesn't like that answer. You know, but I don't understand. Why these Babylonians? Why this nation? Why are you going to do this? And in chapter 2, we're going to jump up to verses 2 through 4. Let's read it together. Chapter 2. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Verse 4, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. God tells Habakkuk, I'm going to share you with this vision. I want you to write it down, and I want you to share it. And he does. He does that. He does it in that time, but he also does it for each and every one of us today. And throughout the centuries, this vision is shared. It is for time immemorial. It is for all of us. Make it plain on tablets. Write it down in a book. You know, it, it just never ceases to amaze me that we have all the answers that we need. The Bible says everything that pertains to life and godliness found in this book in a relationship with God. But how many of us actually turn to this book when we have a problem? When you have a marital problem, do you go to the book? 
When you have a business problem, a work problem, do you go to the book? Do you go to where the answers are? Or do you do everything you can to go around it? The Lord has written it plain. And then he continues, for this vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. The word of God will never pass away. It will never be wrong. It will never let you down. And the Lord has an answer and he has a response. The Bible says in the book of Romans that now it is high time. High time, meaning the time is almost up. That we are to occupy until he returns. And we are to tarry, to wait until he comes. And I don't know when that will be. I honestly thought it would be years past. I thought there's no way we would make it to 2019. No way. But the Lord tarries. Why does he tarry? He tarries because there are people that I have, the Lord has used me to personally lead to Christ in that amount of time. And hopefully for you as well. There are people that you're going to minister to, that you're going to share the gospel with. The Lord is waiting for them. But he will come in his timing. It says there at the end of verse 3, because it will surely come. Not just the judgment of Israel, which he's speaking of in the local, but also the judgment of this planet. It will come. Because that's the question for all of us, the same thing that Habakkuk answers. Lord, why are you letting this happen? Lord, I'm reading about abortion. I'm reading about liberalism. I'm reading about people mocking your name. I'm seeing churches closed down. I'm seeing less of evangelism. People aren't talking about the gospel anymore. We don't have a biblical nation anymore. The enemies seem to be taking over. Lord, when are you coming? When are you coming? Oh, he's coming. He will come. And the Lord says in verse 4, Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him. Pride. We're going to talk a little bit about pride in the next section. Right now, we're going to focus on the end of verse 4. But the just shall live by his faith. Each and every one of us. We live by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. We're saved by faith and not by works. Faith alone and God alone. In Hebrews, the Bible tells us that God is the author and the finish of our faith. That faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In Corinthians, it says that we see through the glass dimly, darkly. We don't know everything. We don't understand everything. But as Christians, as believers, as followers of God, we walk with Christ. We follow him by faith. Faith. How important is this verse? It's found here in Habakkuk chapter 2. It's found in Romans chapter 1 verse 17. It's found in Galatians chapter 3 verse 11. It's found in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38. Four times throughout the scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, Habakkuk 2.4 is quoted. The just shall live by faith. The hardest thing forever for me to learn as a pastor would to be when I am sharing with someone who's on their deathbed, when I am ministering to someone who has lost a child, when I am ministering to someone who has lost a family member or had a tragedy or has gone through, I'd say, a drunk driving accident. The hardest and the most important thing that I've ever learned is to say, I have no idea 
why this has happened. I have no idea why God has allowed it. But this is what I do know, that God is righteous and perfect and just. And we walk by faith with him. We have to trust him because I don't understand. And it is so liberating. I don't know when he's coming back. I don't know why his timing is what it is. But what I do know is what the Bible tells me, that his ways are above my ways and beyond my finding out. I will never understand him. I will never uh, comprehend him. I will never be able to, quote, unquote, figure him out because he is who he is. He is God Almighty. He is the creator of all things. He owns everything. And without him, nothing would exist that exists. It will powerfully transform your walk when you understand who God is and who you are. Because truly, who are we to question God? Now, he asks us, as he told the prophet in Isaiah, come, let us reason together. He, he wants to have these discussions with us. He wants to talk with us. He wants to share. He writes down visions. He puts it down on tablets. He puts it in the word of God. He wants to speak with us through prayer and relationship. He wants to uh, write his words on the tablet of your heart. He sent his son to have a relationship with you. He wants this relationship. But make no mistake, this relationship with God does not exist because we deserve it, because we demand answers, because we are important. It exists solely on his grace. Have you ever thought for a moment that God does not have to be just? He does not have to be righteous. He does not have to be perfect or holy. He could be whoever he wants to be. By his grace alone, by his unmerited favor, that's who he is. But he is God, and we are his creation. He could tell us whatever he wants. Nevertheless, he is perfect and holy and righteous and just, and he loves you. If you're like me, which you are, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. Your righteousness, as the Bible says, is dirty rags. You deserve nothing but death and eternal torment, but he loves you and he made a way of salvation for you and he wants to have a glorious relationship. The just shall live by his faith. Now let's read verses five through eight. Indeed, because he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man. And he does not stay at home because he enlarges his desire as hell. And he is like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations and heaps up for himself all peoples. Will not all these take up a proverb against him and a taunting riddle against him and say, woe to him who increases? What is, what is not his? How long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges, will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will they not awaken who oppress you? And you will become their booty because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and, and all who dwell in it. Now, who's he talking about? He could be talking about anyone. He's talking about the Babylonian nation itself. 
And yet we see the universal truths here. What's being said is, how can you use the Babylonians to judge us? Because look at who they are and what they're doing. They're just conquering every nation. Now, when America, this biblically-based country, whether people want to admit it or not, we have a certain set of values and virtues in this country based on those biblical principles. And when we invade a country... We do everything we can to restore that country, to rebuild its infrastructure, take care of hospitals. We do everything we can to help them. That is A.D. That is Christ-inspired. That did not happen in these days. And these days, when the Babylonians, when the Assyrians, when the Ninevites, when they took over a nation, they killed the men, enslaved the women, sold off the children as slaves, they would rip out all of the farms. They would salt them. They would come and so that nothing could grow there again. They would burn down all the buildings, take all of the stuff, and go back, and they would, you know, might makes right. Whoever win got everything. In the uh, 13 and 1400s, the Mongols were even worse when they came. They would take their enemies Whoever didn't give them tribute, they would come and do all those things, and then they would take the skulls of all their enemies and make a mound in the town as a warning to whoever else would ever stand in their way. Not us. The United States, we go in there, we sacrifice our men to try and help others, to build up and to restore. So Habakkuk's looking at the Babylonians, these guys that come in, they destroy, they plunder, they steal, they take everything, they demolish, they destroy families and and separate them, they enslave, and says, Lord, you're going to use them against your chosen people in Israel? And when he says your chosen people, they're in Judah, the temple is there. But what has happened? In this time period, king after king after king, there was only, I believe, I should have wrote it down, there's only three righteous kings and eight unrighteous kings recorded in the history of Judah. Idolatry had come back in. Offering children to Molech had come back in. False gods, false worshiping, uh, turning their back on God. There, is, there hasn't been one archaeologically proven Sabbath year in the entire history of Israel. Every seventh year was supposed to be a year of jubilee, a Sabbath year. There is no historical evidence that they ever celebrated it one time. Disobedience to God. It's interesting that as Christians in the 21st century, we criticize God for not judging other people but then we're upset with God when he chases us, when he leads us. The Bible tells us for the believer, he loves those that he chases. Notice that the, the word there is chasten, it's not judges. We're judged. Jesus Christ was judged on the cross for us, and he was judged perfect without sin. And he who was without sin became sin for us. But chastened, instructed, disciplined, discipled, Loved. Lord, why are you doing this to me? And then when our our neighbor finds grace, you know, 
the next door neighbor, the one that you hate, the one that parks on your lawn all the time, that bark, that dog barks all night long, who scratched your paint, who has parties at a you know Saturday night at eleven o'clock when you're trying to fast and pray. That neighbor wins the lottery. Lord, Lord, why did you? And you start questioning. Will not all these, verse 6, take up a proverb against him and a taunting riddle against him and say, woe to him who increases? What is not his? How long? Let's read verses 9 through 11. Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. You give shameful counsel to your house, cutting off many peoples, and sin against your soul. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the timbers will answer it. The Bible tells us that judgment is God's. We need to give it to Him. We don't like his timing. That's what we don't like. We want judgment now and we want grace forever. We want grace on ourselves. We want unmerited favor. We want to be blessed. And we want all of God's enemies, all of this world to be judged immediately. And that's why we started our sermon the way that we did. God is God and he is in charge. And you are not. That's very clear. We have to put that bold underline. You are not in charge. This is God's house. Not just this church, not just your home, not just your body. This universe is God's universe. He holds it together in the span of his hands, it says in the book of Psalms. Every molecule, every cell, every atom, every neutron is aligned in the order that he says. He is in charge. Now, when I read this in verse 11, it, it says, Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house in verse 9. And then it just lists these things, you know, what he's doing, what is evil. And then in verse 11, it says, For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the timbers will answer it. And what it's saying there is, you cannot hide. The sins of this world, they cannot be hidden. Those, that which is done in darkness will be brought to light. Because we think that people are getting away with it. My Lord, they're getting away with it. No, they're not. It says even the stones are going to cry out their evil deeds. Now, are you thinking what I think when you hear of stones crying out? What do you think about? I think of Palm Sunday, and I think of what the, when the Pharisees told the Lord. What did they tell the Lord? Tell them to stop worshiping you. And what did the Lord say? The Lord said, if they stop worshiping, even the stones will cry out. Have you ever thought about that for a minute? I mean, what does that mean, the stones will cry out? All of Because that's an inanimate object. It can't do that. But what have we learned over the centuries? That every, every molecule is in motion. Every molecule, every atom is in motion. That that rock could literally sing if it was put in the right motion. And who holds that rock together? God himself holds those molecules together, protons, neutrons, electrons, 
all arranged by God. All of creation longs for its creator, the Bible says. We long for a creation or a creator to return. I dare say even the atheist, the agnostic, the communist, the socialist, the monarchist, the anarchist, all of them are crying out for their creator to return. They just don't know it. And why do, they, why do I say that? Because every one of those people admit one thing. Something is wrong with this planet, and we need to fix it. The communist thinks that it's the government that needs to be changed to put all men in equality. The monarchist thinks that we just need one ruler to just put things in charge. The, the liberal thinks that we just need to be more liberal. The conservative thinks that we need to be more conservative. Whatever ism it is, every human being on the planet says that this place is messed up and we need to fix it. Only proving yet again that what God's word says is true, is true, that we live in a fallen creation, that the creator God needs to restore it and bring it back to the way that all human nature thinks. We all know that there is a better way for this place to be. It's written inside of all of us. In fact, even the stones cry out for that. But the stones also cry out for justice. Justice. Now for us, are we going the way of the world? Are we going the way of the Babylonians and the Assyrians? Or are we going the way of the Lord? If you say that you're a Christian, if you say that you're a disciple, that means that you are saying, I'm going to do this God's way no matter what. Not my way, but his way. When we went through the Lord's Prayer, not my will, but his will on earth as it is in heaven. His way, not mine. The Bible tells us in Psalm 127 verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Unless the Lord build the house. What houses are we trying to build? What nations are we trying to conquer? What things are we trying to do in our own line that we're trying to conquer in our own strength? You know, I'm a young man. I'm not as young as I used to be, but I'm not as old, Lord willing, as I'm going to be. That being said, if I were to die today, that would be a tragedy. And there would be people that care deeply about that. But if I died when I'm 109, they say, oh, he had a long life. Oh, good for him. I go with my family up to a, uh, a very, very old church outside St. Helena that was before the founding of this country it was made. And there, I'll look at a tombstone, and I'll see, here lies so-and-so, died, age four. I'm immediately hurt. Oh, my gosh. But do you realize every single person in that person's family down to the fifth generation has also died? But I'm hurt because of that child who died 250 years ago. But every single, this is about perspective, but every single person in that family who trusted in Jesus Christ has been living for centuries in the presence of God. But my perception is, what a loss. That four-year-old is 300 years old. 
in the presence of God, where one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years a day. And I'm like, oh, they missed out. See, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain. Who build it? Now, I'm going to let you know a little secret. The Babylonians are going to be judged. Now, when was the last time you met a Babylonian? Anyone? I have not met a Babylonian. I read them in the history books. They were the toughest of the tough. They were the mightiest of nations at this time. We haven't heard of Babylonians for millennia. There's a little nation, though, in the Mediterranean called Israel that has been wiped off the face of the earth, not once, but twice, and still in the land. The just shall live by faith. But Mike, what about the Holocaust? I have no idea. I have no idea. I know that God is perfect and righteous and holy and true. His ways are above our ways and beyond our finding out. See, we have so much pride. And that was the the warning that was back in verse 4. Behold the pride, the proud. His soul is not upright in him. Verse 5, he who transgresses by wine, he is a proud man. We talk about pride, pride, pride. And the Bible tells us pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. This is 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world, of the world. We talked about you know, these people that have been dead now for two to 300 years. Rich ones, poor ones, sick ones, healthy ones. They're just dates on a tombstone now to me. I have no perspective. All of us in this room, if the Lord tarries, are just going to be dates on a tombstone, names and obituaries. It doesn't matter how rich we are. It doesn't matter how big the church is. It doesn't matter how popular we are, how wise we are, even how healthy we are. But that which is done for the Lord will last for eternity. We will live eternally in the heavens. Now, here's the bright side. All the dumb things that you're doing right now, all the disobedient things, all the wicked things, all the prideful things, all the arrogant things, your pride, none of that's going to make it through. None none of it. They're not even keeping score. The Bible says in Corinthians that our deeds are going to go through a fire before they go into the kingdom. And only what is done for the Lord will go through. That used to terrify me. I used to think, Lord, you know, I I could be in ministry for 50 years, and, you know, if my motivation is not right, I might not have anything. Now, now that I have a few years in ministry, I rejoice. I'm like, that messed up thing ain't making it through, and that dumb mistake is going to be gone, and none of those mistakes are going through. Lord, if if I'm even on the other side, whatever you decide is up to you. I don't care. Just don't let me bring that baggage. See, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And you may be trying to accumulate riches or pride, or you may be trying to accumulate popularity, or, or maybe you're just your focus is on your health but in an unhealthy way where it's hindering your walk with God. And maybe things are happening to you and you don't deserve it. The just shall walk by faith. The just don't walk by results. The just don't walk by material gain. They don't walk because things are difficult. They don't 
They walk by faith alone in God alone. As John the Baptist said, we must decrease that he must increase. Decrease. Now, I'll be doing an injustice if I don't summarize the rest of this chapter. We're going to read just one more section, but there are five woes. Five woes. We went through the first one, the one who covets evil gain for his house there in verse 9. Now in verse 12, we're going to pick up a new woe. Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people's labor to be free, excuse me, that the people's labor to feed the fire and nations weary themselves in vain? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to the violent, it's saying. You know, those people that are just taking everything. You know, earlier it talked about creditors coming and just wiping you out. That happens. I mean, you could put so much blood and sweat and tears into something and then taken. And we've seen it happen in this country many times. We just came out of a recession 10 years ago. And that was terrible. But that recession was still nothing compared to the Great Depression of the 1930s. The people lost everything in an instant. And I say to you that if you live for those material gains, you will be wiped out once again. And if, it, if you do not trust in the Lord, if you do not walk by faith in Him, you will lose everything that is important to you. I will even go so far to say, if you focus, if your focus, I should say, is out of alignment on your children, where your children become the center of all your decision-making, over your relationship with God, over the other things in this world that God tells us to focus on, if it's not in alignment, and you lose your child, if the Lord takes that child home, or if, the, if they, every man has a free will, every man or woman and child, free will, and maybe they decide to leave, or maybe they decide to live in rebellion. Unfortunately, I have seen Christian families whose teenager or, or young adult have decided to live in rebellion, and they shipwreck the entire family. And I dare say it's because their foundation was not in God. God, how did you allow my child to act this way? Did you think for me for a second that maybe God is asking the same question about all of creation? Why did you allow all of creation to go this way, to sin, to separate from you, to have the fall? Well, what do you say, Mike? I have no idea. I walk by faith and not by sight. When I get to an issue like that, I look to the cross and I see Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, without sin, sacrificing himself, taking sin and the punishment for sin upon himself. For anyone, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And then we know God. We know God's heart. That he is making a way of salvation. Woe to him who covets evil. Woe to him who builds a town on bloodshed. Let's continue these woes with 15 through 17. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor 
pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drink, that you may look on his nakedness. You are filled with shame instead of glory, you also drink. And he exposed and be exposed as uncircumcised. The cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you, and utter shame will be on your glory. Verse 17. For the violence done to you to Lebanon, excuse me, for the violence done to Lebanon will cover you, and the plunder of beasts which made them afraid because of men's blood, and the violence of the land and the city, and all who dwell on them. Woe to the drunkard. There's so many people that they live for a leaf. I'm 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 furious, and I pray it's a righteous indignation and not just a a fleshly reaction. They live for a marijuana leaf. They wake up in the morning to smoke dope. They go to work to make money to smoke dope. That's what they live for. And Satan has enslaved them to where they are willing to vote. They are willing to go to law. They are willing to go on TV. They are willing to sit in to light up a leaf and put it in their mouth. All the things in this planet to motivate them and all they want is to sit on their couch and be hungry, dumb, and stupid because that's what marijuana does. And people are going to fight me and argue with me. Oh, it's, me- it's medicinal. It's medical. Oh, it's saving little children. Oh, it's saving those with cancer. It's, it, it's a miracle. Oh, it's from God. It's all natural. Alcohol was such an issue in the United States of America at one time that we passed a constitutional amendment to end it. And how far we've gone. What's the largest aisle in the grocery store today? Alcohol. Both sides. Both sides. Now we got marijuana stores. And we say, Lord, why are you allowing this to happen in our nation? God, why is this happening? Why aren't you going to stop this? He is going to stop this. He is going to come back. He is going to set all things right. Woe to them that are not walking after God, that are not seeking after him. It says in verse 16, the center of verse 16, the cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you. Well, there's a hint. Who sits at the Lord's right hand? The Lord Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. And you do not want his hand turned away from you. Mike, you're getting a little bit intense. Well, let's go to verses 18 to 20, the last of the chapter, the last woe, and we'll sum it up. What prophet is the image that its maker should carve it? The molded image, a teacher of lies, that the maker of its mold should trust in it to make mute idols. Verse 19, woe to him who says to wood, awake, to silent stone, arise, it shall teach Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in, there, in it there is no breath at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So the last woe is to the idolater, those that look to the creation rather than the creator, as it says in Romans chapter 1 and 2. That all of us are sinners, that we've all fallen short. Woe. Beware. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Because he is the almighty, the living God, and he has a set standard. 
whether we want to ignore that standard or not. But for those of us that walk with him, let all the earth keep silent before him. He is sitting on the throne. If all of the world, all of the billions of the people on the planet, all held hands together and closed their eyes and said there is no God, he will still be on the throne. If all the world got together and built temples to false gods, if they all converted to a false religion, if they all just willed it to happen, God will still be in the throne. He will still return. He will still set things right. There will still be a millennial kingdom. His yes is yes, and his no is no. The just shall walk by faith. Now, if you go to the rest of this chapter, you read chapter 3. Go home, read chapter 3 you're going to see that God does not answer Habakkuk. He doesn't tell him why the Babylonians are used. He doesn't tell them why he allows these sinful people, much more sinful than the nation of Israel people, to judge them. He simply is taught to trust God. Trust him. That sounds so cute, doesn't it? We should all have Trust God shirts on, little Trust God hats. I should sell them for $19.99, you know, in the front. You know, make an Instagram thing, have a store. Trust God. Why have it on your shirt if it doesn't bleed into your chest, into your heart, where you, let, you trust God? No, I don't know why this bad things happen to you. I don't know why this difficult thing is going through. I don't know when the Lord's going to return. I don't understand why the heathen rages and tries to take over this planet. And I don't understand why it seems for a moment that Satan may be winning. But when I trust God, I trust his word. And when I trust his word, I know who will be victorious. I know where I am going. I know with whom I will be. Most importantly, I know that my fellowship is with God, not with man and not with the things of this world. This nation could crumble and another empire take its place. The communists could take over. The Muslims could take over. The atheists could take over. And God will still be on the throne. I will still worship and teach from the Bible, whether it be from a prison cell, a mental hospital, or whether it's from my front porch. And if I die, I will immediately be with the, in the kingdom. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And those truths, those are yes and amen. That's it. Regardless of my feelings, my intentions, my surroundings, or my material possessions. If my whole family goes against God, God will still be with me. He will still be true. If the whole church goes into a splits tomorrow and has all these arguments and everybody just hates each other and we all disband, I will go find the next church that God calls me to go to and I will just serve there. I'll just go there or I'll teach there. It does not matter. Wherever God has you, I will trust him. Now, when you do that, you have grace and peace. You're in the eye of the storm. And you realize what it means when Jesus says to the storm in the middle of the boat, be still, or when he was sleeping in the storm. And you can go through any kind of situation. And as my wife says, you have no feelings. It's because I don't care. I literally, I, don't, I just trust God. It doesn't mean I'm emotionless. doesn't mean I don't get angry. doesn't mean that I'm perfect. 
It doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen. But come what may, God is on the throne. Remember Habakkuk 2.4. The just shall live by faith. Now I have taken all the time for this evening. So we're going to close with one last prayer. And then if you need prayer, come on up. We'd love to pray with you, share with you, talk with you. I don't know, you know, I felt like the Lord had a special message this evening. I don't know if it's for you in particular or if it's for our whole church. I just trust God that that was the message that he had for us. Lord Jesus, we do come before you and we pray that as you sit at the right hand of the Father on high, Lord, we know you are the King of kings and we give you praise. We have individually, Lord, some difficult things, some difficult trials in front of many of us. And then we have way more blessings, Lord, than trials. And we pray that we would have your perspective, that your words would be written on our hearts, that we would be growing in you and be used by you, Lord. We know that our enemies will go the way of the Babylonians, Lord. They'll, they'll be gone. And you will rule and reign. Come what may, Father, our trust is in you alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.